Gales open they're away in the Golden Slipper there's a great start and Mick Mitt Masque on the extreme outside is about the first out Jeff Boyle Yagler on the outside lunging but Catlin opening just in front Jack McBride desperately can't reach him Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit the Juggler this I podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales Sky Racing and Inglis not even the absence of enthusiastic crowds will detract from the quality of racing at this year's Spring Carnival. Saturday, September the 25th features the Group 1 Golden Rose, the Golden Pendant for the Phillies and Mares, the Epsom lead-up, the Group 2 Shannon Stakes and the gloaming for the budding three-year-old stayers over 1,800 metres. A little piece of history comes into the equation on Saturday, October 2nd when the Tab Epsom gets top billing. It's the first time the historic mile has offered 1.5 million in prize money. The Heineken Metropolitan carries 750,000, as does the Dali Flight Stakes, the final leg of the Princess Series. Moving right along to October the 9th, and it's another mouth-watering program, highlighted by the Spring Champion Stakes, the race that sometimes throws some light on the Australian Derby the following autumn. Also on the card is the Silver Eagle and four other group races. The very best horses will be playing to empty houses, but those watching off course will still thrill to some truly great theatre. The Australian Turf Club and Racing New South Wales proudly presents the 2021 Spring Racing Carnival. When Glyn Schofield walked off Randwick Racecourse on Boxing Day last year, he knew he could no longer ignore the pain in his right arm. The veteran jockey had been dealing with increasing discomfort for several months, but his five rides on Boxing Day had brought it to a head. He quietly slipped away from racing and booked himself in for extensive scanning, which revealed that disruption to the C5, C6 and C7 vertebrae had caused an impingement to nerve ends in the right arm. The resultant surgery was successful, but Glynn was advised by specialists that a six-month period of rehabilitation would be very much in his best interests. Following several weeks of track work, the widely travelled jockey was champing at the bit when he rode in seven trials at Rose Hill on August 26 and in another 11 trials a week later. Any doubts he may have had about the likelihood of a comeback were dispelled when he won several trials and enjoyed the adrenaline rush. A product of the famous South African Jockeys Academy, Glyn Schofield isn't a keeper of statistics, but believes he's nudging 2,000 career wins, 800 of which have been achieved since his arrival in Australia in 2007. He's won 18 Group 1s, in this country alone. Here in Sydney over the last 13 years, Glyn Schofield has helped to uphold the lofty reputation enjoyed by South African jockeys all over the world. Time we caught up with the man himself. Great to catch up, Glyn. Yeah, John, thanks very much. It has been a while. I think we had a chat, um, I think, when I first came to Australia back in 2008. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's been a long time between drinks, but great to be have a chat with you again. You've taken your time in shedding that last couple of kilograms and getting back to race fitness. So what are we looking at, uh, late September? Yeah, towards the end of September, I've got uh, another set of trials to do next Tuesday. Or this, sorry, what's uh, – mm. so it'll be um, the 13th or the 14th. Yep. And then um, I've got a week in quarantine. Uh, as per the guidelines from Racing New South Wales, and then I can resume thereafter. So not not quite ideal having to go back into you know um, no exercise and and whatever for a week. Mm. But I've got an uh, an equisizer at home that I can sort of fine tune um, some any any cobwebs that hopefully I can get rid of yeah. in that uh, that remaining few days. Mm. How long had you been conscious of the discomfort in that right arm? Look, you know, I think John, as a, as a as a sportsman, everybody carries a few niggles. I'm sure you're aware of that, and mm. and um, it got to a stage where you know, it was it was me telling myself I was just getting on age a little bit. I wasn't. I'm not obviously a spring chicken, mm. um, but um, it got to a stage where I just couldn't, you know, 
think it was just something that I had to put up with anymore. So mm. as you said at the top of the show, it, it, it culminated in a horse um, coming out the enclosure and, and, and really force, forcing my neck back quite severely. And, and that was really mm. the stage where I knew, no, I've really got to get this thing sorted because I, I basically had no, no use of my right arm. So mm. um, anyway, we are where we are now, a few months down the track. I think it's what, eight, nine, ten months, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm on the eve of hopefully getting back into the saddle. You're 54 years of age, Glenn. That's correct, isn't it? That's right, yep. Yep. And your brother-in-law, of course, Jeff Lloyd, was almost 58 when he finished his career in Brisbane about three years ago. But it's the age of the veteran jockey, Glenn. Like 20 years ago, once a jockey turned 45 here in Sydney, he was pretty well pensioned off. But people like Jeff Lloyd and Glenn Boss and several others have, have changed the landscape. Yeah, look, I, I must be honest. I even up until a couple of years ago, I, I was winning Group One races for Godolphin and and um, riding the top three rolls of the year. And then obviously, I, I think it coincides more or less uh, with with when my injury was sort of like getting the better of me, mm. um, and my performance certainly tapered off. And that, and everybody notices those sorts of things. And and hopefully, it's not wasn't down to age. It was down to injury. Um, you know, I've still got the hunger. I still love what I do. Yeah, it's a fantastic sport that we're in. Uh, we're blessed, really. It's not really, you know, someone someone a lot smarter and famous than me said, if you do what you love, it's not a job at all. Yeah. Um, and I and I take it as that. I really do enjoy it. Um, and having some time away has you know given you time to refresh. You know. Um, reflect on you know what uh, what it is and what's required. I'm under no illusions, and I know that sports a young man's game. And obviously, it, it's not like I'm going to be having my best years ahead of me. Mm. But I just want to go out there and be able to compete on a, at a high level. Um, as as you rightly said, like Glenn Boss, uh, he seems to be you know cherry picking the Group One races. He, his 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 opportunities in between that are seem to be quite scarce. Mm. Uh, Jeff Lloyd obviously had to leave Sydney to go and um, get some success in, in Queensland because he wasn't having much joy here. Mm. Um, and, you know, he found a nice niche for himself, which was obviously – I remember him saying to me, he's just lowered his expectations. And, you know, mm. once you once you reset and recalculate what you want, um, then, you know, then, then success – comes your way mm. and I'm hope I'm, I'm hoping that's going to happen to me as well obviously I need some support from from the industry and the participants mainly trainers and owners um, and I know I'm as good as anybody out there that uh, I can get the job done when I've got the cattle underneath me absolutely well like Jeff Lloyd you were born in England you spent very early years in Chelmsford on the outskirts of Greater London and you were eight years old when your dad, who worked in the aviation industry, got a job transfer to Johannesburg, South Africa. What sort of an impact did that have on an eight-year-old? Um, I was a very sporty little little boy at school. Um, you know, I think when you're that old, you don't really realise. Um, look, I look back at it now and, and all, my, all my main memories are from South Africa. I don't have a great deal of of memory from England, mm. to be honest, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I grew up in South Africa and I, I, I pretty much regard myself as South African, even though I'm now living in Australia. Mm. Um, and this is our home and it will be forever, I hope. Um, but, uh, impact wise, it was, it was, it's pretty much a, a complete different way of life. It's, it's very similar to Australia, uh, South Africa, mm. the weather, the climate, the, everybody's sports mad mm. so so growing up in in johannesburg was was uh, a sort of i can't really say it's like a duck to water because mm. children are very adaptable so when you get a little bit older that you know you're a little bit prejudiced to change mm. but um adapted to it pretty well i mm. loved south africa loved every day there uh just opportunities in life took us around the world and now we've ended up in australia at age 15, you were accepted by the world-famous South African Jockeys Academy, the institution that launched the careers of Jeff Lloyd, Basil Marcus, Robbie Frad, Douglas White. Were the disciplinary measures observed by that academy as tough as they say? Uh, 
Yes, uh, unless you've been through it, the rumours are just something that you can listen to, but it's it's probably and some uh, when you're in there. It's not. It's it's. Uh, you know what? I remember when you when you leave a school environment and you're the smallest person in your school, and you and and obviously when you're small, you get you get the the attention. Sometimes of it not positive from all the other kids at school, yeah. and then you end up in an environment where everybody's exactly the same. You're all small. You're all. You know, there's no one picking on you anymore. There's no one mm. uh, uh, you know, lifting you up and passing you around for like like you're a, like you're a mascot. Mm. And then then all of a sudden you see different personalities coming out in all the kids because you're all on the level. There's mm. no one that's any different. And that I think that's where I think that's where uh, racing allows. You know, people that are of small stature that may not have, you know, been that confident, you know, in a different environment, become very confident in themselves. And I think that's why um, racing is, is is great for for and and the Jockey Academy especially for encouraging mm. that in uh, growth in in young kids. And I think the kids feed off each other because you're all in it together mm. in a con- enclosed environment. When one kid has a bit of success. Um, he brags about it to all the other kids, and then they're trying to do exactly the same thing. So you all feed on each other. Yeah. And I think I think that's an unwritten key for, to the success of the South African Jockeys Academy. It's like a big melting pot where you're all in it together. Mm-hmm. And if you're worth your salt as a sportsman, you want to be competitive. And and you know, there, there are loads of kids that go through the system that don't fulfil, um, you know, the time their time there, and they leave. Mm. Um, but the ones that do stick it out, you know, because it's pretty tough, to be honest. Um, if you put up with the hardships and you put up with uh, mm. uh, riding horses that you've never seen before or animals you've never seen before, mm. it's, it's extremely rewarding. And um, I've been fortunate enough. And the names you mentioned amongst that, you know, we've a lot of us have travelled the world um, and you know gone f- for bigger um, mm. uh, pastures other other than South Africa. Yeah. When the Academy was of the opinion you were ready for induction into the racing industry, they arranged your apprenticeship to a man called Alistair Gordon, whose yeah. brilliant career was just starting off. How did you get on with Alistair? Alistair, as, uh, he was a young trainer uh, when I joined him. He um, had had a champion uh a couple of champion racehorses already, mm. so he was he had a very very big string, very powerful owners. Um, he had a couple of uh, stable riders, uh, and I was I think the second apprentice to him at that stage. He had a senior apprentice um, that was in the academy with me, um, and he gave me a lot of opportunities um, as well as other trainers uh, at Summerfelt, which is the main training centre in in Durban, mm. in South Africa. And um, look, he installed a, a good work ethic, uh, as all trainers would in, 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 you know, of their apprentices. And we'd we'd ride up to 20, 25 horses in a morning um, at track work. Different in, different way of riding horses uh, than Australia, where you get on them at the stables, you walk them out, you trot them, and then you gallop them, you walk and trot them home. Mm. Um, in South Africa, you just the grooms bring all the horses out to the centre of the track, and then you just hop on gallop them, trot it back, get on the next one. So it's a bit like a uh, a well-oiled machine where you get on and off all the time. Mm. So uh, you learn pretty quick riding that many horses a morning. Mm. Um, and that obviously then progressed to race rides and and then winners mm. follow from there on. So, it was, so racing was only twice a week. Uh, it's not as big as racing in Australia. Mm. Um, but they were both city tracks. So you, you were in amongst the you know the Basil Marcuses, the Jeff Lloyds, mm. the Michael Robertses of the world. You know Felix Kutsis. They were they were there with us, and mm. they were the jockeys that we, as a new apprentice, you would face every Wednesday, every Saturday. So, mm. not like Australia, where the kids seem to go into the country first and and ride, you know, and hone their skills, and then they come to the provincials, mm. and then to the city. Where in South Africa, you just you know you're thrown in amongst the Group One jockeys straight away, mm. and that 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 can slow you down a bit. The memory of your first winning ride is crystal clear. It was oh, yeah. a one thousand meter dash at Scottsville. The horse's name was Unter den Linden, and I presume was trained by your boss. It was, yeah. Um, he'd, he'd obviously I'd had about ten or twelve rides 
um, prior to that, and it was a thousand meter easy down the straight jump, one by five or six lengths. Mm. Um, yeah, those those sorts of things. Your first ride in a race, your first winner in a race, uh, they're things that never leave you. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Mm. Around 2000, you got yourself on a pretty good horse called the Shake. You won the South African Guineas in Durban and you won the Cape Derby at Kenilworth on the Shake. That's right. Yeah, he was he was trained by um, my boss at the time. I'd, I'd obviously qualified and had, and had ridden uh, extensively and, and I was retained by one of Durban's biggest trainers, um, Dennis Dreyer, mm-hmm. and he was owned by a, a rich American property tycoon who, who had married a South African girl and used to holiday in South Africa and, and, and ended up buying a lot of racehorses. And I was lucky enough to be riding for them. Mm. And the Sheikh was a really good horse. So he went on to become a successful stallion as well. Mm. Um, uh, and it was a good horse. Yeah, very good horse. Won both the Guineas and the Derby. Mm. Um, and he was, they tried to buy him for Hong Kong and, you know, the American guy wouldn't, wouldn't have a bar of it and, and kept mm. him and, uh, which was great because he, I think he won the Derby after that. Mm-hmm. The day you won the South Australian Guineas, you also won the Phillies division on Mythical Play, who was trained by a man who would later make his mark in Australia. Yeah, David Payne, yeah. Mm. Yeah, David Zemir uh, looks like she's back with a bang. Montefilia, we wish him well too uh, in all of her spring assignments. David's uh, one of the gentlemen of racing. He certainly is, and, and it may not be known um, to a lot of people in Australia, even though David's been here, oh, what, 20, 20 years or 25 years. He'd trained over 100 Group 1 winners in South Africa. He, mm. was, a, he, was, a, he was one of the best, um, and obviously he left all that behind to come out here. So it's, yeah, it's a big move um, when you're starting from scratch and later on in life. Mm. Um, yeah. But uh, obviously... He, he saw the benefits of, 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 of living here as well. Yeah, he tells the story, Glyn, uh, when he arrived in Sydney, he didn't have a stable and he didn't have a horse. He started from absolute scratch and you're talking about a man who trained 100 Group 1 winners in his native country. Yeah, that's right. Look, David David Payne was the trailblazer for um, on along the training ranks of people of you know to come to Australia. And Jeff and I, um, we we came, and we were the first South African jockeys to come here as well. So, mm. um, yeah, it's a lot. You know, there's a lot more South African people here at the, you know, since us. And it mm. does seem to be, look, I, I'd like to say that it was a little bit tougher tougher for us because we were maybe the groundbreakers. Mm. Um, but I must say, we were welcomed with with uh, open arms and. and from the jockey's perspective, um, you know, you pick up your saddles and you move on. You know, for a mm. trainer, it's very different. You've got to, you got, you've got to rebuild your whole stable, and you know, you've got to take your head off to David to do that. Mm. You know, when you're a champion trainer, mm. to leave relative comfort and uh, start all over again. I'm mm. not sure how David would have been in his fifties at that point. Yes, he was. Think. He was absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big, it's a, it's a big, uh, big decision to make. And um, look, he's. As you say, he's got Montefilia now who won – what did she win? Two group ones in, yeah. in as a three-year-old? Yes, yeah, she did. Mm. And she came back and ran third in the wing stakes, I think. Yeah, so, and charging home. She looked good. That's right, yeah. Mm. Well, Glenn, it seems to me that you were always inquisitive about racing in other countries. And that curiosity brought you to Queensland in 2001 for just two weeks. You wanted to have a sticky beak – at the late uh, Bruce McLaughlin's magnificent Thornhill Park uh, training establishment at Caboolture. How did that happen? How did that come about? Yeah, that came out the blue. Um, you're right. I was riding for Dennis Dreyer and we were we were winning loads of races and premierships and all that in Durban. And, and um, another guy I used to ride for, Herman Brown, he was out at the Magic Million sales and, and – um, he must have been chatting with Bruce, and I think Bruce might have lost Brian York mm. as his stable rider to Gay. Yep. Um, and he was obviously looking for a, for another jockey, and he must have spotted the South Africans riding in Hong Kong at the time, namely Basil Marcus uh, mm. and Felix could see. Mm. Uh, and he obviously was trying to source a South African, and Herman Brown, who I used to ride for and had ridden for, uh, per, since rode for Herman in the Melbourne Cup mm. when I was here. Um, 
he he recommended that Bruce give me a, a, a ring anyway. So that's what happened. And I came out for a couple of weeks to Caboolture and Bruce's magnificent property out at uh, Thornhill Park. I mean, what I can't tell you what a setup that was. I mean, mm. I've been to I've been to Lloyd Williams's place. Um, I've been to Euroa David Hayes's place. Nothing is a patch on what Thornhill Park. Thornhill Park was horse heaven, mm. um, and it was just his horses and his clients' horses. So um, I went out and spent a couple of weeks there. Um, his, Bruce and Lorraine were just the dream people to 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 host me. They were fantastic. And then he got mm. me back the following, I think, Winter Carnival. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I spent three months with Bruce, and we had, oh, I think we had about 30 winners or something. Yeah. Something crazy. So it was, it was a really good introduction to Australian racing. Mm. Um, and yeah, I really liked it. I remember your winning the Gold Coast Guineas on that second trip on a filly called Miss Bustle for Gay Waterhouse. And I also remember after passing the winning post, she hung a left. Yeah. <laughs> what was Did she heading for the shoot? shoot? <laughs> up the shoot, yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. There's not I, much I, you can I, do I was, about it. No, it's not. It's funny. I'll tell you a funny story about that. She She was owned by. Uh, Arafield, John Masira and his and his team, yeah. and um, obviously didn't know the the importance or the or the standing that John has in the, in the racing industry in Australia and, and 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 obviously around the world. And at that stage, they were standing, I think, Danehill mm. at Arafield, and then shortly thereafter, my Australian stint, I went and rode in Hong Kong and um, was doing a bit of riding for David Hayes and John Masira was at the apartments where all the jockeys and trainers live. Yeah. Anyway, John came over and had a chat with me and said, oh, you rode my horse and this and that and the other. And I was talking to uh, to um, David Hayes a little while, a couple of minutes later, and I said, oh, I rode a winner for that. But he said, oh, you, do you know who he is? I said, no, I've got, no, I don't know who he is. He's one of, he said he's one of Australia's biggest breeders, most influential men mm. in the racing industry. And he obviously stands a horse called Danehill. And I said, oh, wow. Mm. That's pretty big. And then John mentioned to me that if I ever wanted to come back to Australia, I should look him up, and mm. he'd be more than happy to to uh, give me give me a hand. Which is exactly yeah. what happened when we came back mm. to Australia about six or seven years later. Yes. And John was really instrumental uh, in getting me back over here, and uh, gave me a, a big helping hand when I first arrived in Australia. Mm. Well, Glenn, not long after that Queensland Winter Carnival we've been talking about, you landed what you thought was a short-term contract in Hong Kong, which by then had become a mecca for top-class riders from all over the world. Now, that three-month arrangement turned into four years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we went for three, I got a three month contract um, and end up with I think it was four and a half years in total. But mm. um, at that point, obviously, I got the travel bug. I'd ridden obviously in Australia, ridden in Singapore briefly, uh, and yeah, Hong Kong was was obviously a massive massive step up. Um, and I was fortunate enough to to do really well uh, in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, in those days, they only used to give the jockeys three-month contracts. Uh, John Shrek was chief steward. Yeah. Shane Dye was riding there. Yeah. Um, he was retained, I think, by John Size at that stage. Yeah. And my three, as you say, my three months got extended, uh, and I was there, yeah, just over four years. So, mm. Chad, Chad grew up in Hong Kong, um, yeah. and now he's back there riding as well. So. So uh, it's funny how life goes full circle. He actually was living in the exact same apartment that he grew up in. So when we go and visit him, yeah, uh, you're going we home. Were, <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, we're sleeping in Chad's room and Chad's sleeping in our room. <laughs> yeah, goodness me. Yeah. Well, you won about 160 races in your time in Hong Kong, which was a very healthy figure, and included two of Hong Kong's most glamorous races. Firstly, the QE2 Cup on a horse called River Dancer for the man whose name you just mentioned, John Size. I know you were tickled pink about that one. Yeah, it's one of the – outside of the derby, it's probably the next race that everybody wants to win. It's an international group one. Um, it's – obviously, it's the pinnacle 
of the open class group group races, not not just restricted for three and four year olds as the Derby is. Uh, it was a great thrill to win that. Um, mm. I actually, I actually had Shane used to obviously used to do all of John's riding on his on his um, number one horses, and I the horse was a bit difficult to ride. He was used to pull and hang and do all sorts of things wrong, and Shane didn't quite get on well with him because Shane used to drag everything out the back and mm. flash down the outside, and he was a he was a spectacular rider when he was in his prime, mm. as you would know. Mm. Um, but he didn't seem to get the best. He'd won races on River Dancer, but I rode him, I think, two starts before that. He ran fourth in another Group 1 race, but my bit broke in the race. Ooh. Yeah. Not um, pleasant. <clears throat> it wasn't pleasant, and he was a he was a difficult horse to ride, and, and all I had, fortunately, he had a ring bit in, so I just had the ring without any sort of steering, mm. um, and he ran fourth. Then Shane obviously took the ride back his next start and the horse didn't <laughs> perform as, at, at his best. And then I rode him in the QE2 and I remember John's words to me. Um, as John's a very understated person, he doesn't sort of no. say a great deal. He said to me, you'll be pleasantly surprised how this horse will run for you. He said, I think he'll be right there. Mm. Anyway, the horse won. He was 30 or 40 to 1, owned by the chairman of the Turf Club mm. in uh, the Honourable Ron Arcully, who, um, who uh, I think he's won the race three times as well. So that's that was a feather in his cap. But fantastic race to win, really. In mm. front of a, a, a full grandstand of 100,000 people or so. Yeah. Magnificent. Yeah, one of the unforgettable moments in your uh, racing days. Now, Glenn, you also won a Group 1 Hong Kong International Sprint on a horse called Natural Blitz. Maybe I should say you pinched it because you led and got very easy sectionals. We did. It was, a you know, the 1,000. In those days, it was a 1,000 mm. down the straight, not the 1,200. And they can run 56, 55 seconds, you know, down there with ease. It's really quick. It's a really quick track. Mm. And you're right. We got it. We jumped to the front, and uh, most of the dangers n- needed to have a bit of cover. So we hatched a plan that we'd sort of like jump to the lead, everyone get their spot, and then we'd just sort of slow everything down, which is exactly what happened. And he he kicked away, and um, uh, he won. He won convincingly. Having said that, though, he did run third the year before mm. uh, behind the great Silent Witness. Mm. So he he had a, he had a lot of form, but he he lost form after the, after his first run in the sprint the year before. But came obviously enjoyed uh, Christmas time, uh, December time in in Hong Kong, and, and found his best form again. You and Jeff Lloyd have a great deal in common. You're both English born. You uh, were both the only boy in your respective families. You both had two sisters. You both went to live in South Africa. You married sisters. Nicola and Tiffany, and you came to Australia together in 2007. The parallels are extraordinary. Yeah, they are. Yeah, we both ridden successfully in South Africa and Hong Kong and Australia. So, mm. um, yeah, the, the, when, you, when you paint it like that, it's, it's very similar. Mm. Um, Jeff, without doubt, I think um, is one of the best riders I've ever ridden against. He's obviously a few years older than me, so when I was mm. – Starting my apprenticeship, he was the person. He was the like the James McDonald um, that we all looked up to as young riders, uh, mm. or the Hugh Bowman, or the yeah. Damien Oliver. Yeah, fantastic rider um, and a lovely bloke to go with it. My, he certainly is a gentleman of the turf. You know, is it any wonder Jeff has two sons, Jaden and Zach, who were both riding successfully in Queensland. Your boy Chad is doing very well in Hong Kong. He rode Group 1 winners in Australia, including the Cox Plate. Your wife's father, Aubrey Roberts, was a successful jockey and her grandfather, Charlie Berens, was one of South Africa's best many years ago. It's in the genes. It is. It's all in the in the female line. It's not in, in, in <laughs> uh, from from my perspective. It's not, I've got no racing in my blood um, mm. outside of what's 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 come after me. But hundred uh, percent right. My wife's family was uh, her grandfather, especially was a bit like the George Moore yeah. of South African racing. Um, fantastic rider. In those days, everything was obviously 
rough and tough and very different to what it is today. But mm. and I could I could tell you some stories that he used to tell us. I mean, my word, mm. um, uh, about the, the the shenanigans that they all used to get up to and all that sort of stuff. But uh, <laughs> fantastic character. Unfortunately, he's no longer. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Yeah. Um, but. Um, but yeah, he was a super jockey, and, and Tiffany's father as well is no longer with us. But yeah. he he won the Durban July, I think, as a as a young kid, similar mm. to what Chad did as as a, as a, an apprentice winning the Cox Plate. Yes, yeah. Well, around two thousand and seven, South Africa's political unrest convinced Jeff and Nicola that they should seek a more stable future in Australia for their young family. Is it true? that you and Tiffany simply said, we'll come with you. Did it happen that way? Uh, s- something like that. We There was actually, we were at dinner one night in South Africa and all, all the sort of the trouble that was going on was going on. And there was myself, Jeff Lloyd, trainer in Singapore, who used to train in Singapore called Patrick Shaw, mm. uh, another jockey called Robbie Hill. Uh, we were all sitting around the table thinking, oh, we're sick and tired of this place and all the troubles. And, mm. you know, we all had young fa- – well, Patrick didn't have a young family, but uh, Robbie, Jeff, and I did. And we said, oh, let's all – I think it was just a, a topic of conversation at dinner. Mm. We all decided that we we're going to apply to come to Australia. Mm. Um, Patrick ended up in Singapore um, as a trainer and trained there as, I think, champion trainer a few times, trained the great rocket man. Mm. Uh, and Jeff and I came to Australia, I think, a month or two apart. Jeff mm. got here first. Yeah. And then we came in, in around Christmas time in 2007 and started riding in 2008. So, mm. yeah, that's pretty much exactly how it happened. Mm. Well, Glenn, the Sydney riding ranks in 2007 were every bit as strong as they are now. So here you are, you and Jeff Lloyd, two South African jockeys virtually unknown in Sydney must have been pretty intimidating it was it was but i think as sportsmen you know you back yourself um we mm. came here you know looking back at it now it was an extremely bold and 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 uh, brave move of course we were we weren't i think i was uh 40 when mm. i came here and jeff would have been about 47 48 yeah um so you know it's not easy to make you mentioned at the top of the program mm. a long time 20 years ago, when you hit your 40s, you know, people put a pencil through you and put you in a pigeonhole and you're never heard of again mm. um, as a jockey. But, you know, we we seem to have had a longer career than most. Um, Jimmy Cassidy's only just recently given up a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, I think he's the same age as Jeff. Um, Michael Cole's still riding. Yeah. Glenn Boss, Damien. Um, so, look, it's not all about being young and, and, and carefree. There's a lot of there's a lot of thought and experience that's needed to to ride horses as well, especially at the top end in the big races. I think that's where your cool heads mm. are needed. Um, and uh, I've been lucky, as you said, I've been lucky enough to ride some some nice Group One winners since I've been here. So yeah. I hope I hope I can I can pick up and kick off and do something similar uh, when I get back in the saddle again. The late Bede Murray was the trainer to provide your first Sydney winner. Horse's name was commemorating at Randwick. In fact, it was the one and only time you ever rode the horse, but you haven't forgotten him. No, no, he had a black. I think he had black and white striped colours, mm. very similar to Leon McDonald's. Bede yeah. was great to me, and um, yeah, he won. I think it was a close finish at Randwick. Uh, one of those, one of those times in life that you know, race that you never forget. Um, and Bede was great to me. He had, he, I think, that year or the year after, he had. A young three-year-old, and he said to me, I want you to ride this horse. I think he's really good. Mm. Anyway, I rode him, and he was a half-brother to take over Target. Yeah. Uh, and he won his second start, I think. And I think he ran – and he, he pressed the horse right out to run in the derby mm. uh, and ran third in the derby. And, and he, he pulled my arms out, didn't have a great deal of luck, and ran third behind one of Bart's in the derby. So uh, mm. Bead, rest his soul, was great to me. Um, put me on some horses and some nice horses as well. Mm, I wish I could think of the name of that Derby place getter, but I can't. Anyway, his name was his name was Predatory Pricer. That's right. It was a mouthful for race callers. Predatory yeah. Pricer, correct. 
The winners flowed, Glyn, in only two-thirds of the 07-08 season. You rode 31 winners. The following season, 79. The one after that was 80. And you maintained a good strike rate for many seasons thereafter. Now, this is the one that we've got to talk about. On September the 9th, 2009, you rode a horse for Bart Cummings in the Ming Dynasty quality, which was over 1,400 metres. You were beaten a nose in the race by more than great. Your mount was called So You Think, who just Mm. three runs later, three runs later, would win his first Cox Plate six weeks after you rode him at his second race start. Quite hard to get your head around. Yeah, he, I remember he he uh, he was resuming from obviously he had one run. He probably I think he probably won his first race. I'm not sure, but he must have won his first race. And then he resumed in the Ming Dynasty, and he he got back a bit, and he flashed home. And well, I thought he actually thought we'd won the race, but we didn't. Mm. The photo went up, and it went went the other way. And mm. I think he broke himself. He broke the track record at Ramwick, mm. um, and his second race start, even though he was beaten as well. Mm. Um, Obviously, I, you know, I couldn't keep the ride. Unfortunately, I think, I think Hugh Bowman might have ridden him a couple of starts after that, and yeah. then, and then he went down to Melbourne. And I think, I think uh, Stephen Arnold got on him. I think in the, oh, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but even Huey uh, lost the ride as well. I think Huey yeah. decided to stay in Sydney instead of going down to Melbourne. Yeah, Boshy um, might have ridden him in his first Cox Plate. Yeah, we had 49 kilos or something. Yeah, yeah Glenn, that's, so Glenn, that makes sense. And then Steve yeah. Arnold in the next Rode one. Right in thereafter. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, he was a hell of a horse. He won 10 Group 1s, five in Australia and five in England and Ireland, and he's now emerging as a very successful stallion. We're pausing for a break on the podcast and we're talking to champion jockey Glyn Schofield. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30 mil of Recuperate drawn from the 500 mil bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. Yeah, Sydney Cup Day 2011 was a funny one. You won a stakes race early in the day on a horse called Red Tracer, but you and Karen McAvoy were involved in a fall in the Sydney Cup. You broke a collarbone, and that couldn't have come at a worse time because you were invited to ride a pretty good horse in the Singapore Gull Cup, and you were busting to get there. That's right. Um, so I was riding a horse for Chris Water called Hawk Island mm. in the Sydney Cup, and it was a wet, real, I think it was a heavy eight or something at, at Ramick that day, and uh, mm. there was a bit of carnage coming around the last corner, and uh, a couple of horses fell in front of me, and I went straight over one. Mm. And broke my collarbone in four places. Um, unfortunately, the following Saturday, I was supposed to go and ride this horse um, from that was trained by Herman Brown, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, in Hong Kong, in the I think it was the QE2 again. Yeah. And I couldn't take the ride. Um, and then two weeks after that, he was going to Singapore to run in the Singapore Cup. Mm-hmm. And I phoned home and I said, look, I can't ride next Saturday. I've broken my collarbone, but I'll be right to ride in Singapore in three weeks' time. Mm. He was a little bit sceptical and said, oh, are you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll be, I'll be fine. I'll be right. Yeah. Anyhow, I had my collarbone operated on by David Duckworth mm. in Sydney, yep. probably one of the best surgeons I've had to deal with in oh, all, my, all my time. Outstanding. Yep. And he uh, – 
adapted a, an arm plate for broken arms for my collarbone, screwed it together. And he said to me, look, if you can handle a bit of pain um, that's associated with that, he said, you'll be good to go in two weeks. Mm. So, um, yes, just about two weeks later, I rode, I think I rode at Rose Hill on the Saturday. I might have ridden a winner, I'm not sure. Yeah. And got on the plane Saturday night with 14 screws in my shoulder. <laughs> uh, and uh, won the Singapore Gold Cup. And then won the Singapore Cup on a horse called Gitano Hernando. And who, what a good um, horse he was. He'd won a group one at Santa Anita. He'd yep. run in two Dubai World Cups. He was yep. obviously top grade. He was a good horse. He was he was crippled. He was he ended up doing a I was due to ride him the following year in the Dubai World Cup and went across to gallop him mm-hmm. prior to that and he did a, a suspensory in his gallop and mm-hmm. couldn't take his part. Uh, so that was the I think that was the only race that I didn't ride in on World Cup night that 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 night I was over there. So mm-hmm. that was a bit of a pity, but he was a good horse, yeah. Yeah. Glenn, we're going to put some speed on now because I'm just looking at the timepiece and time is getting away. Road to Rock was your first Group 1 winner in Australia in the George Main Stakes, but the Chris Waller train Boban was the one to really launch you here. You won eight races on him, including five Group 1s. You won a Memsey, a Doombin 10,000, a Chipping Norton, an Emirates and an Epsom. Now, you tell me he was not a foolproof horse to ride. No, no. He, he was actually previously trained by the Freedmans down at, uh, at Mornington first and obviously had ability, won a good, won a good race or two, but used to, used to get a bee in his bonnet. He, I think Bowman rode him the one day and he bolted. I think he must have been 10 or 15 lengths clear and mm. compounded. And then Chris got him and they did a lot of work with him trying to get him to settle and I – I got on him and and we just sort of clicked. Uh, mm. I got him to settle pretty well, and then I think he won two or three races. Then he won the the Epsom mm. with a lightweight. Um, he was very difficult to ride. He he was he was like a spring, like if you just let the spring go, he'd, he'd just explode. He was Dear that yeah. explosive, and you just had to harness him early on, and then keep him for his his burst late. And and I just seemed to get on with him, and yeah. Yeah, he was great great to me. Mm. Great horse. You loved a horse called Manawanui who didn't race a lot. He only had 20 starts. He won seven of them. You won a Group 1 Golden Rose on him and three other stakes races. But he went within half a neck of winning the Caulfield Guineas when second to Helmet. You rode him that day too. Yeah, he was a great horse. Trained by Ronnie Lehman, um, who only has a handful at best of horses. Mm out at Warwick Farm and um, Ronnie picked this horse and he was a really, really good horse. And unfortunately he, he bled um, shortly after running in the guineas mm. in uh, at Caulfield uh, went down, I think a half a length or a neck to, to helmet. Um, and uh, prior to that had won the golden rose pretty well, beat, beat helmet and beat, um, I can't forget the horse's name, Anthony's and Guri's, mm. but uh, um, very good horse, very, very good horse, and pr- pity that he bled. Mm. So you think aside, you have no doubt Hay List is the best horse you've ever ridden in a race, a big monster of a horse with a V8 engine who, had he not raced in Black Caviar's era, would have reached dazzling heights. You rode him 17 times. You won five races on the big boy, including a new market and a Manicato at Group 1. What a blissful relief it must have been to you and the late John McNair when Black Caviar missed the new market of 2012. She was having a spell before preparing for her trip to Royal Ascot. At last, he got the glory he deserved. Yeah, that's right. And he, he holds the record, I think, still of, of the highest weights carried uh, to success in the new market. He, I think he carried 59 and a half and beat Fox Wedge, who was mm. obviously a very good horse. Uh, sorry, he beat Buffering yeah, and buffering. Fox Wedge in the same race. Yeah, so mm. he was a really, really good horse. Uh, people don't really know. We could have a whole program on on on, on that horse, but um, what John did to get him to the races was nothing short of miraculous. Yeah. Super horseman. You know, John, 
had his detractors, but he had his own way of training, and, and that certainly suited Haylist. I've no doubt had Haylist been in, in a a uh, major big stable, stable yeah. major stable that do everything, you know, everything's according to certain criteria, you know, everything's a, a plan. Mm. Um, I don't think we would have seen the best of Haylist. He may even have broken down beyond repair mm. prior to, to him, you know, getting to, to the big group races, but John sort of uh, patched him together. He never had shoes on. He used to have tips. Um, I think the first time he wore full shoes was when he won the new market. Um, mm. His feet were, were just, they were crumbled. They were flat. Yeah. Oh, but what a super horse. Oh, I, yeah. I, I trialed last Tuesday or two Tuesdays ago, I trialed the great um, nature strip. Mm. And um, I was keen to obviously get on him to feel a com- if there was going to be a comparison of, of, of for, for me of mm. between him and, and Haylist. Mm. And whilst nature strip is an absolute champion himself, um, two completely different horses with different fields. Um, mm. I still believe I haven't ridden nature Stri- strip in a race, but I still mm. believe that Haylist is the best horse I've thrown a leg over. Mm. Gosh, he had some setbacks. He had two serious colic attacks. He had a shocking knee injury. He had a dreadful wound sustained when he hurt himself on a concrete water trough in a paddock. And in the end, it was laminitis that brought on his early demise. He had a lot to put up with, didn't he? Yeah, and in between all that was just it was it was just an ongoing concern. He would get colic mm. in bet- you know in between races, and then. As he'd get over the colic, he would throw an abscess and get and pop an abscess out of his foot. So, mm. um, oh, he was. I remember he, after he won the new market, he ran in the William Reed mm. uh, 13 days later at Mooney Valley, and he was beaten uh, by a horse that he beat quite easily in the in the new market in Fox Wedge. Mm. But he hadn't had a saddle on his back between the two races. Mm. Um, he'd had an abscess pop out, uh, and he, he just used to swim. So that was how good he was. He could go into a Group One race and just get beat, yeah. even though he had no training. So, um, oh, what a what a super horse he was, and yeah. brave, strong. Mm. Oh, I loved him. And he must have been very clean winded. He was. He yeah. was. He was a big, big, heavy horse. Mm. Um, used to hit the ground like a ton of bricks. Mm. Um, but he weighed over six hundred kilos. But oh, uh, yeah. yeah, massive, yeah. G- gentle giant, an absolute gentle giant. Now, Glenn, time's on the wing, mate. I'm just going to throw a few names at you if I can get a quick comment about some of these great horses you rode. You had several rides on Lur Remain for Chris Lees. You ran fourth in the first Everest, in fact, second in a George Ryder, second in a Kingsford Smith in Brisbane, third in a Doombin 10,000. You only actually won one race on him, but it was a Group 1. It was the Canterbury Stakes. What an underrated horse. He was, and he beat Chautauqua. Um, so, mm. so it was a great performance. He, uh, he, he was a lovely horse, big, strong, genuine, as all Group One horses are. You know, they, they're lovely to ride. Mm. Um, he probably deserved a little bit better. Uh, he, he went under the radar a lot. Um, ran second, I think, to Winks uh, once or twice. Mm. Um, so he was, he was a good horse too. A win that gave you a lot of satisfaction was on Prized Icon in the Victoria Derby of 2016 for James Cummings when he was still training in his own right. You gave the horse a lovely run, midfield, one off the fence before getting to the outside. He came off the bridle about the 600 metres. I thought you may have been in trouble there, but he just outstayed them, didn't he? Oh, he's a, he's a good horse. You know, you, won, you, know you, win a, you win a derby in Australia, you've almost... If, with a colt, you've almost got to apologise for it. Mm. Um, nobody seems to want them, but he he, he didn't have a stayer's pedigree. He probably had a, a miler's pedigree. And after he won the champagne at Ramwick as a two-year-old uh, over a mile, James spelled him and then brought him back as a three-year-old. And and he ran in the, the vase at the Valley on Cox Plate Day over 10 furlongs. And I remember that day it was – Really windy. It was cold. He got bumped from pillar to post, and he ran fifth or sixth. And James was a bit reluctant, and the connections and the Guris were, you know, Guri stud. They were and the Quankos. They were a bit reluctant to 
to let him take up his place in the derby, and, and it took a lot of convincing from my side. Mm. Um, and James obviously made the right call and 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 uh, let the horse run. And I think at, at one stage he was anti-post favorite favorite for the derby, and then mm. after his his run at, at the Valley drifted right out. I think he started, I think middle of the pack, fifteen dollars or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, but, it was double uh, figures. He, yeah, yeah, he was a convincing winner. It mm. was no surprise to uh, to me that he won. Oh no, he was strong to the line. Had they yeah. gone another hundred meters, you'd have put four or five lengths on him. Yeah, he won by two or three, and he was he was yeah. very strong at the line. James continued to put you on after he moved to Godolphin, and you won a couple of lovely races for him. You won a flight stakes on Alizé, and you won the Randwick Guineas on Kemantari. You coaxed him to victory in a Group One. Yeah, the the, the Guineas Randwick Guineas was a great race for him. He, had, he I think he was unbeaten in his prep leading up to that. Um, uh, so he went into the Guineas as favourite and. Settled beautifully, midfield, uh, followed um, Ace High, who won the derby as well, and just peeled off their backs and just showed a tremendous turn of speed mm. um, and was just too strong for them. Beat a very, very good field. It's a pity that he turned out um, unsuccess- uh, unsuccessful and as a stallion um, and ended up back in training. But mm. um, oh, he, he, he beat uh, Pirata. Um, who was obviously was a champion as well, and that very good horse that Gerald Ryan trained. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but uh, mm. it was owned by the um, Vieiras. Um, so he beat a very good quality field and top racehorse. Your son Chad had an amazing start to his career with four Group Ones, including Seamus Award in the Cox Plate of 2013. It was the only time he sat on the horse, but he certainly picked the right day. And clean a Cox Plate win at that age is the stuff dreams are made of. Yeah, I remember I rode, I think I rode four or five winners at Rose Hill that day. And um, I was pretty buoyant myself. And then the race was, the Cox Plate was run after our our last in Sydney. Mm. And there's a few boys that stayed behind in the jockey room to watch it. Um, and it was just, it was just an emotion I can't, I can't explain. Mm. Having success personally is, is a high, but watching your kids achieve on the highest stage is just something completely different. It's next mm. level enjoyment. I must, I must say it was, I've never been more, more, um, uh, prouder, uh, proud, emotional. more proud or emotional than, than mm. watching that was because we spoke, uh, the, the manager, Mark's, Mark Van Treat, who manages me and Chad. Mm. Um, we had a we hatched out a, a, a sort of a game plan, and Danny allowed Chad to ride the horse as he wanted, mm. and it just worked out perfectly for for him. He everybody was looking for a bunny, and and he was a maiden at the time, mm. and he he rated the horse beautifully, and and just held long enough to to mm. hold off um, Fiorente and Happy Trails, I think it was. Yes, I think it was. Yeah, two well, very yeah. Now, he is now, of course, Seamus Award, the sire of Australia's current boom horse, Incentivise, who overcame a massive rise in class to win the Group 1 on Saturday, the Maccabi Diva. He's uh, been installed already as a favourite for the Caulfield and Melbourne Cups, a son of Seamus Award, Incentivise. Yeah, look at that. Everyone said that Seamus Award wouldn't stay, but now he's throwing a horse that stays really well. So mm. he obviously had it in his in his makeup. Um, clearly, by winning the Cox Plate as a three-year-old, you don't do that by fluke. No. Um, and um, he's showing his uh, his his true uh, genetics in mm. his progeny. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, you were saying Chad's been in Hong Kong for quite some time, and he's more than holding his own. Has he got the right attitude, Glenn? Has he got the right weight and the right kind of dedication to be around as long as his dad has? Oh, well, I hope so. Um, he's a lot taller than I am, so I think his weight is is something he's going to have to work on quite hard. I mean, I work hard on my weight as well, um, but you know, I'm not as tall as Chad, so he's got something to work on there. Mm. I think Chad's got a lot more natural talent Um that I've got. He's got the most amazing set of hands. I remember when he first started riding mm. out for David Payne when he was an apprentice and, and the the track riders used to say that 
difficult horses that they struggle on, when Chad's ridden them for a few days, they become quiet. Mm. So, you know, even at his early stage, he was he was affecting, you know, he could do things on horses that that people who've ridden track work and maybe ex jockeys couldn't couldn't do at the, that time. So mm. um he does possess a fantastic pair of hands on him. Um and, you know, riding in Hong Kong is something that tests your temperament and your mentality. Mm. Um, there's 48 hours in a day in Hong Kong as a jockey. Uh, time just goes that slowly. Mm. You only race twice a week, um, but it's very, very rewarding. He's got a good horse to ride this year of David Hayes's. He's unbeaten, a horse called Fantastic Treasure. Mm. I think David will be aiming him at the, the derby, and hopefully Chad can maintain the ride and maintain some success on him and, and give the horse a good run and good good result in the derby. Your daughter Whitney suffered a dreadful setback seven years ago when she lost her husband, jockey Nathan Berry, to Norse syndrome, a rare disease related to epilepsy. She recently remarried and you tell me she's currently living at home with her new husband. That's right. Well, she they've just had a baby, which is great. So um, with the lockdown and they live in Ramwick and we live up on the North Shore in Sydney, we just said, look, come and move in with us and, you know, it'll be a lot easier for us to, you know, help out with the new baby. Mm. Uh, my wife just loves being around the baby, as we all do. Mm. And, um, yeah, everybody's at home, so that's that's, that's great. It's, we're having a – even though we've been in lockdown for quite some time, uh, it's been very joyous having the baby with us. And what of your youngest girl, Demi? What is Demi up to at this stage of her life? Demi and Whitney both run um, a few dance schools in Sydney that we own mm. um, for young kids uh, school, of school age. So we've got three three venues around Sydney, and uh, they they run that studio. So they've got about uh, 250, maybe 300 children on on you know in 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 around their studios. So COVID has played obviously a big big part in in that not going as smoothly as possible in the last year and a half, two years, but uh, hopefully that's going to be behind us soon. Mm. So they, they, the girls are pretty busy in the in the dance uh, field. Tiffany is well and truly settled into her new life in one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Yeah, she loves it, yeah. She settled, she settled a lot easier than I did when we first came. Absolutely loves Australia, loves Sydney. Mm. Um, and now that she, we've got a grandchild, she's loving that even more. Mm. I can recall interviewing David Payne on a Sky Racing program not long after he arrived from South Africa, and he was telling me in that interview that his wife was terribly homesick, terribly unsettled, and wasn't all that enamoured of Sydney. Now, we're going back 20 years here, of course. I asked him the same question recently, and he said, you wouldn't get her out of Sydney it would take the army to get her back to South Africa. Yeah. Look, Australia's a great place. And as you said, Sydney's one of the best cities in the world to live in. I can't disagree with that in any shape or form. I can only agree with it and maybe add to it. So, um, look, it's been great to us. I'm sure it's been great to David as well. And anybody who's moved, loads of people come here for a holiday for six months and then they never go home. Mm. So that's, that's the allure of Australia and, of course, Sydney. It's a great place. Well, Glenn, you've got absolutely nothing to prove, but I know that old competitive streak of yours will reappear once you're back out on the track. Now, we all know there's some very hot opposition on Sydney racetracks at the moment, but you might be able to pinch a few wins with sheer experience and cunning. Yeah, well, I hope so. Um, as we said at the top of the show, my desire and hunger still there. You know, once you once you can ride a bike, you never forget. Um, but you know, it's nice to get on a fast one every now and then. So um, I just really look forward to getting back in amongst the boys and the banter and the jockey room, and and um, hopefully get on the odd winner or two, which would be great. I'd, I'd, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a challenge, um, but it's nothing that I'm shying away from. Glenn's been a delight catching up. You've been very informative, very entertaining. And very interesting. I've enjoyed our chat very much indeed on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Great to talk, Glyn Schofield. The team at Inglis are describing this year's Ready to Race catalogue as the best ever assembled. 
The sale is scheduled for Tuesday, October the 12th and will feature 185 two-year-olds by some of Australia's most in-demand stallions and some exciting new sires. Most importantly, these youngsters have been prepared by some of the most talented breeze-up experts in Australia and New Zealand. The English Ready to Race sale leads the way in the field of two-year-old auctions with more than 400 individual winning graduates since 2015 accumulating almost $60 million in prize money. This year's entries will breeze up in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and New Zealand. High quality videos of each and every workout will be available on the English website within 48 hours of the gallop. At your leisure, you'll have the opportunity to assess tractability, action, attitude and potential ability. To order your hard copy of the Ready to Race catalogue, email catalogue at english.com.au or speak to one of the English Bloodstock team on 9399 7999.